0: To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new Daily Balance THC-free line of oils, soft gels, and gummies. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. On Intelligent Medicine, we always like to keep you abreast of uh, the latest developments uh, that may affect you as a consumer, and this is certainly one. Today, we're going to talk about compounding pharmacies, what they may mean to you as a consumer of uh, natural and alternative therapies, but also uh, that uh, their status is threatened. They are... Unfortunately, in the current climate, somewhat of an endangered species, and not for good reasons. Our guest today is Dr. John Kim. Uh, He is a doctorate in pharmacy. Uh, He is a compounding pharmacist and advocate for healthy living. Uh, He is owner and pharmacist in charge of Robinson Drug and Compounding Center, and he's an expert on bioidentical hormone replacement therapy uh and uh, the way that uh, innovative uh, medicines can be deployed. That's what compounding pharmacy is all about. Also, natural therapies, because they source both uh, pharmaceutical drugs and uh, natural agents. And I personally don't know what I would do without compounding pharmacies. So uh, without further ado, here's Dr. John Kim.
1: Welcome, Dr. Kim. Thank you, Dr. Hoffman. This is an honor to be on your podcast and really sharing the message of wellness and everything else that goes on with healthcare with your uh, listeners.
0: And incidentally, uh, you too uh, have a uh, live cast show, a podcast uh, where you invite health professionals. Uh, to join you, it's on Thursday evenings. Can you give folks a, a heads up on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually very active on Instagram and on Thursday evenings. I'll be skipping tonight though, but on Thursday evenings, usually I actually have uh, one of the f- you know, f- thought leaders within the healthcare aspect of it and healthy living. And we actually break down into different topics on Thursday evenings. So last week, we actually had talked about sleep, hormonal balance, and woman's health, which is the biggest things that are being missed. Uh, So we actually have one of the uh, sleep consultant who's also a doctor of pharmacy, uh, Dr. Zeke Medina, uh, joining us last week. So if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram, uh, my Instagram follow is dr.john.pharmd. It's P-H-A-R-M-D as in dog.
0: Okay. Well, I'm not too worried about you because if you do your own podcast, you should do pretty well on this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> right? Uh, yes. you,
0: you've got a lot of uh, flight time on your own podcast. Okay. Good stuff. Well, first of all, you know, provide us with a definition of a compounding pharmacy. I mean, how does it differ from, uh, you know, CVS and uh, Rite Aid and, and, and so on? You know, the big chain pharmacies that are on every corner here in Manhattan.
1: Yeah. Good question. So compounding in itself is a art of pharmacy. If you think about how the overall manufacturing started back in the 1950s, before then, whenever prescription comes through from a doctor, the pharmacists end up having to basically customize medication back, uh, based on the doctor's orders. So, in terms of mixing different chemicals, powders, liquids, even alcohol spirits at that point in time, were allowed by the pharmacists to be done, and that's including you know a kind of interesting histories like in, including cannabis extracts where mm-hmm. pharmacists were actually making ca- cannabis extracts as sativa or indica and utilizing it for a purpose of pain treatment and everything else so really the compounding aspect of it yes it is a renewed interest within the pharmacy world but it is an art that's always been with us and because of manufacturing process that went on uh, and you know pfizer mark and all these you know uh, pharmaceutical companies being really being innovative in terms of providing these set dosage forms, well, 70% of the population will be able to tolerate it, but the rest of the 30% will not be able to. So those 30%, how are we going to be taking care of that? Well, that's where the compounding aspect comes in, that we're able to customize medication for the patient's needs, where if there's a certain allergens or a certain fillers that the patients are not able to uh, take, we take those out and we could make it into certain dosage forms that patients could take so capsules, liquids, suspensions including transdermal uh delivery of medications which was very very innovative and at the same time now we're getting much more complex when in our clinical practice so customized pain therapy to provide topical uh, pain medication to the skin so topical ketamine is another example that a patient could use for neuropathy uh we're big on using low-dose naltrexone Mm -hmm. to treat pain as well as autoimmune disorders, which is not available by the manufacturers, as well as we do a lot of therapies in dealing with limes and as well as autism, right? So those patients are needing extra, extra care in dealing with some of the hypogenic products, uh, certain fillers cannot be utilized, and other things, including um, injectables that we're able to customize for patients. The biggest thing that we are, you know, helping nowadays is hormone replacement therapies especially for patients going through menopause or even men going through angiopause where the overall uh, therapy of hormone can be all customized because as you know doc not everyone is the same right so everything has to be customized based on Mm -hmm. that and that's where the overall the art of compounding comes into into practice and we are making a big difference at this point in time
0: indeed and uh you know that's why uh, traditionally the mortar and pestle was the symbol of uh, pharmacists they literally would uh, put together medication uh from raw materials in the back room and that's kind of a lost art these days because as pills come in big bulk to uh essentially uh, drug distributors uh in conventional yes. pharmacies it is a sort of a one-size-fits-all approach usually, and, and many of our sensitive patients, uh, patients with unique needs, patients perhaps who need uh, uh, pills that are gluten-free or free of uh, coloring and additives or maybe uh, topical agents uh, uh, that are free of parabens, for example, uh, these are things that you can deliver, right? Right
1: absolutely that's one of the things that we could definitely do and then there are some other unique doses forms like rapid dissolving tablets for let's just say patients not able to swallow uh, their regular tablets they're taking or uh, a good example just before I mentioned about is transdermal delivery of medication could be absorbed uh, through the skin mm-hmm. so especially for hospice patients that's where it could be very very useful for that um, and as well as being very innovative in terms of other ways so we deal with patients dealing with endometriosis or pelvic floor disorder very difficult to uh handle but also there are not many drugs out there by the pharmaceutical companies to actually have to address these things mm-hmm. so we make uh, diazepam suppositories adding in other um pain medication agents in there also muscle relaxants mm-hmm. adding in so it's a very unique approach in that in doing so so one of the things i recommend i tell patients as well as clinicians out there is that compounding pharmacists are problem solvers that we are working with within a tri relationship with doctors and patients and the pharmacy together to bring forth a better solution for patients' needs.
0: Indeed. And, you know, uh, there really is a collaborative relationship between uh, the doctors and uh, the compounding pharmacists. And of course, the patients too are involved. And You know, I I frequently will get on the phone with a compounding pharmacy and say, okay, well, um, this patient has certain needs. uh, This patient doesn't tolerate such and such. uh, Or I may just ask an innovative compounding pharmacist, well, you know, what do you have uh, as a topical pain reliever for, say, a patient with shingles? And they'll give me several options. And then I can select among the options. It's actually educational for me because they've done a real deep dive on all the possible permutations of uh, various medications.
1: Absolutely. So that that's where our overall art of compounding comes into practice. And it's not even just that. I, I you know one thing that I got into compounding very early on, uh, right out of you know my pharmacy uh, education, is that. I saw a big difference in patients' lives in making that impact because I'm able to think outside the box. At the same time, we're utilizing pharmaceutical science along with clinical aspect that we're dealing with on a daily basis. At the same time, we're becoming problem solvers. And that's where the overall um, missing piece actually occurs within pharmacy these days. If you look at chain pharmacies where you're filling if hundreds and thousands of prescriptions on a weekly basis, you just don't have the necessary time to think about the patient's clinical aspect, except for just counting out pills and taking it out. I found that very boring early well, part of my career. Very creative, yeah. you know, it's not creative, yeah. Uh, it's not. And so that's why I got into uh, this aspect of it. And the and, uh, interesting part also is that after I finished my pharmacy career, I got into functional medicine uh, and training uh, with some of the top doctors in the United States and in utilizing functional medicine, it marries very well with compounding because we you know as functional medicine goes, you're looking at the root cause of the disease, but also in a thinking asada approach kind of mentality that very uh, much goes hand to hand with compounding pharmacies so uh it's been very very fun
0: it's very personalized so okay sounds yes. sounds great i mean look uh this is uh you know. How can you how can you go wrong with this type of approach? Well, uh, the U.S. government and regulatory agencies, and uh, perhaps uh, with some uh, some uh, uh, support and encouragement from big pharma, who make essentially competing drugs. You know, they're making premarin when you're making a topical uh, uh, estrogen progesterone formulations. Uh, there. Uh, trying to clamp down on bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and on other aspects of uh, compounding and and putting a lot of restrictions on compounding pharmacies.
1: That's a – you basically hit it right on the head right now. The, The overall challenge at this point in time is that why is the U.S. government getting involved in patient access to medications that's really saving their lives and making their quality of life better? It's not that we're even hurting patients or anything else is that the overall control, is which is beyond their scope of practice in that sense, and in getting involved, and, and right now, especially for hormone replacement therapy, FDA is trying to shut compounded hormone therapies from patients. And their, they, their belief is that overall, what's available right now by the, by the manufacturers, big pharma, is enough for patients to get the needs that they uh, require and that, unless you're allergic to certain medications that the patients uh, might not be able to use from the big pharma products, the compounding is something that you could do. But also, they clamping on what type of dosage forms that the pharmacy is able to utilize, which is also a problem as well, right? Because, in terms of just give you an example for progesterone, for instance, depending on the patient's symptoms, as well as um, the overall issue with adrenal insufficiency let's just call it you know utilizing capsule versus a topical would be very very different uses because um you're taking progesterone capsule would end up having to tackle a lot of issues dealing with anxiety and, and insomnia for female patients mm-hmm. going through menopause Right. It, these are things that we have to discuss about and customize the therapy based on that and as well as milligrams completely different between patients who is thinner body frame versus persons a little bigger you know all those things come into play but the big pharma world does not do that and the, the things that you have to relate to the uh, regulators especially the FDA they just don't have the complexity to understand that aspect of it and it's really making a, a, a you know wrong decision right now to clamp down on these things and then really affecting patients lives and you talk about thousands of hundreds of thousands of patients who are actually doing these things even millions probably mm-hmm.
0: and and they would scream bloody murder if their access were cut off to uh, some of these uh life-sustaining oh. therapies uh but it's the contention of uh, the fda that when it comes to for example hormones that each and every yes. hormone formulation uh should be tested and so in theory you have an infinity of possibilities you can compound uh, estrogen uh, innumerable ways and you can co- you can add to it uh, progesterone or you can add DHEA or testosterone so the permutations are uh, infinite and it's their contention that well you know uh, standardized drugs they've they've been tested in, in one or two perhaps three dosage forms uh, they've gone through, uh, literally, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars of testing and then the application fees before FDA. And they're saying that you guys kind of short circuit that, you know, that you're, you're out there with your mortar and pestle and you're making, right. up, uh, you know, stuff that in essence has not been tested. So that's, that's their
1: argument. What say you? So, you know, if, well, before we, we actually answer that, I know you're in New York because <laughs> you have the yeah, uh, a background. Fire, a siren coming yeah. back. Boy. And that's and that's <laughs> on the 21st floor, and I
0: bought expensive, uh, supposedly soundproof windows. So, there you go.
1: Uh, that's, that's interesting. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not that far away from you anyway. So, um, anyways, going back to the question, you know, in order for us to go through the entire regulatory process that the FDA is requiring for big pharma, it doesn't account into this practice right now. Because – one is all individually made to begin with that's one the second matter is that in order for us to go through that entire investigational so ind process exactly. what they're talk, mm-hmm. talking about yep. it's going to be impossible for patients right it's it's a it would be prohibitive it would be prohibitive prohibitive is one thing but then to have a regulator to say that they don't know what they're talking about it just they don't know what the patient overall what they're going through the overall a overall um, availability of the medication to get to them in the right standard time. So those are things that cannot be done. And and in terms of scope of our practice and terms of what pharmacists is, is supposed to do, this is within the scope of our practice. We've had the actual education in terms of doing the good manufacturing practice of compounding. We get the chemicals, um, pharmaceutical grade chemicals, basically, and they are third party tested and we have all these things as a documentation to say that we're getting a quality products and ingredients to make the dosage forms Mm -hmm. that the patient needs another thing that we do also is that depending on the amount of batches what batches require is that if we actually have let's just say 10 patients taking the same medication we're not going to just one make one one for the one patient we're making quite a bit of uh, other quantities that we might be using if that's the case we send it out for testing a third-party testing to ensure that the product that we're actually making it is a uh, right potency and there's no other uh, potential fillers especially when you're talking about sterile compounding we have to get these things to be tested by the third party company for sterility potency Mm -hmm. and as well as possible endotoxin issues Um, so you know we do all these things and the science right now is already available for compounding pharmacies to do so in terms of patient safety we are in the foremost Mm -hmm. and if you think about the overall argument of that and if you look at the amount of potential issues that goes on with big pharma they're even greater issues yep, in that yep. sense right? Yep,
0: right and if it's you look at five- millions of people sometimes and then mm-hmm. sourcing materials sometimes for ch- china the many celebrated cases of how uh, commonly used medications i think zantac was one of them over the counter zantac was a whole bunch of lots were recalled because uh, the raw materials were contaminated
1: yeah i mean so those are things that are happening constantly, but they're not clamping down on the actual manufacturing process. They're actually clamping down on the little guys, Mm -hmm. the little guys who's trying to make the patient's lives better. And we are doing all we can based on the scope of practice that's already set by the state. Individual states end up having to set the regulatory process of what, how the pharmacist is supposed to practice. So this is the where, this is where the overall, the big, um, the big government <laughs> end up having to get involved in trying to control all aspects of patients' lives. To, you to know, supersede it, it, it,
0: the local control with uh, very more, more extensive federal regulations.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and it becomes a problem, too.
0: And, and some of this uh, actually is, is partly blowback from a, a very celebrated case that I think it was in uh, Massachusetts where uh, there was a, a compounding pharmacy. It really wasn't a compounding pharmacy. It was almost like kind of a, a chop shop for drugs uh, where they had some compounding, but they seemed to, you know, manufacture just a whole lot of stuff that they shipped out to drugstores. Uh, where they had substandard, uh, they had substandard uh, manufacturing uh, procedures, and some of their injectables were contaminated. And injectables sometimes were uh, injected into patients, and they developed uh, disseminated uh, fungal infections. Uh, that unfortunately uh, was uh, a pretext for. The FDA to step in and say, "Oh my God, you know what's going on in these compounding pharmacies?"
1: Right. So that is a very unfortunate case that actually occurred back in 2012. It was uh, done by New England Compounding Pharmacy, where they were actually shipping out tainted uh, vials of steroid injection for intra- intrathecal injection into the spine, so that, That's in like
0: worst case scenario, right?
1: Worst case scenario, right? So. Uh, And, you know, 60 patients, unfortunately, die from a tainted vial of, uh, you know, a fungal um, contaminated vials, and these patients end up having to die from fungal meningitis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, this is a very much a case that should be looked into. However, the FDA end up having to knew about this particular case. They had cited several times. The state board of farms knew about it as well, but they didn't step in, Right. So, these, these are things that and, – and when you don't do these things and then now they're very proactive in terms of clamping down on everything else that goes on, there's always a rogue player in any type of profession you go into. There's always a rogue player within the um, you know medical practice. There's always going on from the financial realm. Well, that happens in the pharmacy as well. But those are the anomalies, one. But then also if that actually happens – Yes, yeah, set the regulation, but just don't clamp on the patient access in terms of what's allowable to be done. Mm-hmm. And that's always a problem as well. But in terms of the overall access for hormone replacement therapy, this is one of the things that the FDA trying to clamp on for many, many years, especially back in two thousand seven when Senator Ted Kennedy was in the office, they were trying to get rid of estriol, um, one of the you know third estrogen that's mm-hmm. really making a huge difference in patients' uh, lives in terms of, you know, menopausal therapy. You know, those are things that was really needed. But because that the FDA found that as being an investigational ingredient, they are trying to clamp it down from being available, even though estriol is counted as being, one of the rated as being um, a safe and effective is one. And second thing is that the USP pharmacopoeia, so the standard body of pharmacy practice, already recognize that particular drug as being safe and effective, and FDA says otherwise. And why is the lawmakers getting involved in that sense of that? So th- this is the biggest thing that um, the Washington <laughs> uh, players are trying to, you know, really ruin the access of medications that the patients really needs, and that should not be the case.
0: I, I think there's another element to uh, the S3L story and the story of many other uh, natural agents because – Uh, They're, in effect, competing with synthetic agents and the economics of pharmaceutical industry uh, dictate that it's better to have a synthetic patentable ingredient. In other words, a test tube ingredient uh, versus a natural ingredient, because if you do millions and millions of dollars of research on a natural ingredient, you can't really patent nature. uh, And therefore, uh, it's more profitable because you can sustain patent exclusivity. On a synthetic drug, a drug, for example, like uh, uh, Premarin, uh, which is uh, a conjugated artificial estrogen uh, derived from horse urine. That's actually how it's yep. made. That's why it's called Premarin, pregnant mare's urine. Uh, versus estriol, which is bioidentical. It really is natural. So there's there's a medical economics uh, basis for this too. And it, it turns out that estriol is under investigation by some companies. Uh, who want to get um, a use patent on it for applications that are very varied. I think one was on uh, treatment of uh, multiple sclerosis, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes, that's correct. You know, so, th- so that they can say, oh, now we have FDA approval to sell this for MS. Uh, that would mean uh, you would be competing, offering uh, a much less costly alternative uh, to a drug that could have its price inflated by you know, 50-fold. Yes. Okay, I think I stated the case.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that's the biggest problem with how the big pharma end up having to come through. You know, they, have, they spend millions of dollars and um, almost billions, actually, in utilizing lobby groups uh, to go in and immediately setting set the tone in terms of what they're doing. I mean, it's really sickening in terms of how the overall government, we think that is for the people. it's not the case. It's actually for the corporate heads and what they think that is uh, how they should be controlling the overall market and what's available. And, you know, sometimes one thing that really upsets me these days is how overall pandemic actually has been handled in terms of what other potential life-saving therapies that could be utilized for potential, you know, treatment for COVID purposes, especially like ivermectin right now, Mm -hmm. right? That's where the overall FDA is coming.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, it's it's almost like – If many pharmacies will not uh, fulfill a prescription, a prescription written by a duly licensed physician, uh, you bring it to a pharmacy and the pharmacy will say, no, we don't we don't uh, fill that prescription anymore. And, you know, people need options. We need an all of the above approach. All right. There's a good point which to pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. We're going to do a deeper dive on the subject of compounding pharmacies. Mm -hmm. We're talking to compounding pharmacist extraordinaire, Dr. John Kim. Uh, He's the owner and pharmacist in charge of Robinson Drug and Compounding Center. Uh, He, too, has a podcast. He calls it a a live cast on Instagram. And uh, we're going to continue on this subject in just a moment. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine.